Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey, the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I'd like to remind you of a few things before we get started. First and foremost, there's a website called wealthformula.com that is associated with this particular podcast, Wealth Formula Podcast. There's lots of things for you to enjoy there, lots of free stuff. And if you're like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, you know everybody likes free stuff. So it, it it's an easy way to get people to do stuff. Anyway, this stuff is actually useful and it is not wasteful. And so you should go check it out, wellformula.com, free books, lots of information. The opportunity to Sign up for the Accredited Investor Club, which is cranking it out. End of the year stuff, lots of tax advantage stuff, lots of real estate. We don't slow down, right? Because your money should not be slowing down. It shouldn't be sitting there lazy. And so that's the reason we're constantly looking to uh, find interesting stuff. And if you are an accredited investor, you should certainly consider joining us at the Wealth Formula Investor Club because that's where the magic happens. And you can sign up at wealthformula.com. Also, as a reminder, since people have uh, brought this up, our next meetup, save the date, okay? It's uh, March 14th. It'll probably be 13th and 14th. And it'll probably be in Phoenix, Scottsdale, that area. In fact, I know it will be because I've already invited, I uh, just invited Tom Wheelwright and Doug Ludmell there to be there already. We're going to have some different folks this time as well. Um, but, you know, some of the foundational stuff I think is important to have. Um, we own lots of real estate in that area uh, through the accredited investor group. So it'll be fun to go tour some of those things as well. Uh, so just mark it on your calendar. Don't be surprised. Don't say later, hey, I wish you'd told me about it. And I know there's already people saying, eh, it's not a good week for me. That's not a good weekend for me. But you know what? Uh, we got to pick something and we have to stick with it. So it is what it is. Um, and uh, we'll go, we'll leave it at that. Now, um, as far as today's show, you know, I want to talk about this concept of crowdfunding uh, platform. So I, you know, since that whole uh, jobs, uh, well, it's not the jobs. Anyway, there was just some some huge amounts of legislation during the Obama administration that got regulation crowdfunding 
and that sort of thing approved. And all of a sudden you saw everywhere you saw these crowdfunding platforms and portals. And that's what happens whenever there's an opportunity for people to, you know, potentially make a profit in a new niche. And so, uh, you know, since that time, though, I always get this question. I get it all the time, probably at least once every couple of weeks. And I'm not saying it's a bad question, but this is, here's the problem, right? I get this question. People say, what do you think of, and then they say some catchy um, platform name. What do you think of this, you know, Fundrise or this, that, and the other thing platform? And then, you know, what platforms do you like? What do you recommend? And when I hear that, the problem with the, is really the question itself, right? It's not really asking the right question. Um, so I am a real estate investor. I'm a real estate professional. And when I invest in real estate, whether that is, you know, as usually on the, as a general partner or if I buy my own assets or even as a limited partner, I am looking at the asset itself. One, I'm looking at the business plan and the people who are actually going to execute that business plan. Now, let's go back to what a platform is. Now, all the platform is really doing is bringing deal flow to investors and then collecting fees the way you know a broker does. It's basically a broker-dealer type situation. Uh, does the platform you know, materially participate in the real estate activity that is involved? Are they investing? No, 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 no. So when you invest in one of these platforms... Uh, what are you really doing? Or do you know what you're buying? Well, sometimes, right? They'll be like, "Yeah, we're, you know, we're it's a multifamily building in, you know, Oklahoma City or something like that." Wow. Okay. Like you're supposed to, like every, like every building's the same. Like every market's the same. Every, you know, like ABC class. What's your value add? What is it? Cat. Well, you mean there's a million different things, right? In other words, do you know what the business plan is? to yield these uh, potential projections that are showing up on the screen? Well, not usually. Well, do you know who's operating the asset? In other words, you know, listen, there's uh, you're talking about commercial real estate here. Isn't there somebody who's actually going to have a business plan and make sure the business plan is followed, you know, like an asset manager of some type? Well, if you look at these platforms, you'd never even think that that sort of thing existed. So the answer is almost never. I've never seen anything like that. And if, even if there was, would you get to talk to the operator? Would you get to know them? Would you get the opportunity to think, well, gosh, I really like and trust these people, and I think they've got integrity? No. You see, investing in real estate or any kind of real asset fund requires a different level of due diligence. Uh, and in my book, it always comes back to people, the people who are operating, who are going to run that asset because investing in real estate is not like investing in stocks. It's not like investing in bonds or mutual funds. You see, people can invest in the exact same stocks online from anywhere in the world and they get the same exact thing. So you can ask someone, hey, Buck, do you invest in Apple? What stocks do you like? And that actually makes sense, right? It doesn't make sense when you ask if you like a platform or if, you know, what platforms do you use? Because 
then it's it's a very confusing question. Are you investing in a platform? Are you investing in real estate? Well, in the case of a stock, it makes sense, right? Do you invest in Apple? Well, I personally don't, although, you know, I'm sure it's not a bad stock. And what stocks do you like? In my case, well, probably not really any, um, except for maybe Berkshire Hathaway. And, you know, I have this little thing with Facebook just in case they can actually make this um, quote-unquote cryptocurrency thing work. But other than that, no, I don't. And so when I say that, though, it when I say Apple, when I say Facebook, right, you know exactly what I am saying. And if you invest in that and I invest in that, we get the same results. That's just not how real estate works. And to be clear, these real estate crowdfunding platforms, they know that, right? They give you the same type of experience that you get on an E-Trade or something like that. So that, that you think the real estate functions the same way and it starts to look, well, you know, simple. And unfortunately, real estate isn't that simple. It doesn't have to be that hard, but I think it has to be more personal. And unlike Apple stock, you know, there is an unlimited flavor of real estate equity out there, and it should not be mistaken for a commodity. You can't just go and click real estate. I'm going to add real estate to my portfolio, so I'm going to go click on it somewhere. You can't do that. You know, a specific asset itself, like, you know, an individual apartment building, you can't even look at that that narrowly. Case in point. So, you know, I was recently, a few months back, in the best and final for an acquisition. It was a $25 million apartment building in Dallas uh, that, you know, we were looking at um, for our investor group. And um, great asset, um, you know, and as it turns out, uh, the best and final came down to two groups. So if you're confused at what I'm saying, the best and final, usually what happens in these things is there's a bunch of offers given and then the seller picks a couple and says, you're the best and final and give us your best and final offer. So that's basically what that is. So there's two groups here. And one group is a heavy value add player with a primary goal of creating forced equity and a large increase in value at sale for investors they did not intend to make this property into a cash flowing asset, but they did see a great opportunity to increase its value and sell it for a nice bump and make investors happy. Now, the other team involved in that best and final was a team that was looking at this property differently. They were saying, well, gosh, you know, you don't see very many of these buildings these days where you can potentially have cash flow from day one. So if we have a more modest value add uh, play where we're doing things, but we're not pushing things quite as hard, we might actually be able to cash flow on this thing, maybe even double digits, and um, also create value. And to do that, you have to operate the building differently. Like you have to keep occupancies high and the rent increases go more gradually. So in the end, the cash flow team wins the battle. And of course, that property is performing very well. It's being run uh, very differently uh, than it would have been if the other team won. Of course, that doesn't mean 
that the other team would not have run it well. I think they would have run it very well, but the business plan would have been very different. And how do I know that? Well, in this particular case, I was on both teams in the best and final. And so uh, so I had an opportunity, a rare opportunity to see uh, this property through the lens of two different business models. Now, take that example and go back to what we we're talking about before. You cannot go to a platform. You can't go to E-Trade and say, I want real estate. You can't do that. And, um, you know, bottom line is it's not about the platform. It's about the assets. It's about the people. It's about the business plans. And you have to understand a little bit of it, right? You have to understand a little bit of it. And once you get a little bit of it and you maybe find the right groups, and the right people, and they align with you, then you can kind of go on autopilot. You know, I see financial bloggers, um, I hate to say it, but specifically some in the physician financial bloggers and self-proclaimed financial experts writing about these platforms as if they were specific in investment opportunities. And, and, and frankly, they sound like bozos because they sit there and they review these, uh, these sites like they're reviewing the quality of real estate or something. They're t- I mean, it's just, just insane. And they just sound so stupid, but listen, so don't take advice on real estate investing from anyone who knows nothing about it. Okay. Just don't do that. They're probably just trying to get you to click on a link and, and, you know, maybe they get an affiliate uh, commission or something like that. But please, that's just not the way you invest in real estate. If, if you're going to invest like that, just don't do it. Just go get your little Apple stock and whatever you want to do. Um, because the other thing I hate is I hear about people saying, well, I invested in real estate once and it didn't work out. So I'm never doing that again. Or I invested in a syndication once and it didn't work out. And it's again, it's it's so ambiguous. It's not. Uh, it's not that easy, right? You have to look at these things individually. Uh, for me, investing is is personal, right? It's personal. The majority of my assets are deployed into specific real estate holdings or funds that are run by specific people with a specific business plan. And in some cases, I make the decision to invest um, more because of the people involved rather than the asset itself. Now, a good example of that is this fund that I have invested in uh, periodically over the last six or seven years. Uh, AHP Servicing is what it goes by right now. Uh, but you know, it's this is a this is a fund that is in the non-performing note space. This is a space that I've tried to learn a lot about. I am no expert in it. I find it very difficult. Um, and I think you have to be really, uh, really engaged to do this at a higher level and, and, and at scale. Um, so I understand what they do, but the note business is not something in which I would consider myself an expert at all. Um but I've invested in it a bunch of times. Now, would I invest in any old note fund? No way. No, 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 no. Because notes are hard, right? And I know they can make money for people. But if I'm going to invest in that, I'm going to invest with somebody I know, like, and trust and think is going to do well, who's got a track record to show it, somebody I think who's got great acumen in this area. And so that's why I invested in the past with AHP Servicing. Because I know, uh, like, and trust the founder and CEO, George Newberry. And George, who's been on this show a number of times, uh, you may know he's one of my 
he's one of my, uh, you know, he's one of the smartest and most interesting entrepreneurs I've ever met. He's uh, really just a great guy, somebody I like a lot. He's, uh, uh, I call him a friend for sure. And um, so I have no problem investing with George. And especially when he is at the helm, I feel very, very comfortable. And that's not because I'm just clicking the button on a non-performing notes fund. It's because George is at the helm and I understand the HP servicing model. So anyway, that being said, George is up to all sorts of interesting stuff. Like I said, he's one of the most interesting dynamic entrepreneurs I've ever met. And um, when we come back, we're going to talk to George about all of his most recent uh, activity and why it's significant to you. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, today, my guest in Wealth Formula Podcast, he's no stranger to the show. He has been on, I don't know, like four times now. Definitely the the uh, number one uh, uh, appearing, highest number appearing uh, guest on our show. Uh, his name is George Newberry, and uh, he was one of the first shows we did. He is the guy who started uh, AHP Servicing, which at the time, uh, when we first started, was American Homeowner Preservation. Uh, he also has been on talking about uh, a business venture called Debt Cleanse, and uh, he's back again today, and we're going to talk about it all. George, welcome back. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me. I, I'm glad to be uh, be your most frequent guest. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely are. And, <laughs> I feel um, honored. Yeah, no, it was great. And and you know, Georgia is a disclaimer. Georgia's has been a sponsor of this show since the beginning, and certainly I got the best of that deal early on because George was uh, you know uh, was paying to sponsor me when the show was very small, even though it was potent. It was always potent because I think you know, people resonated with the mission and certainly uh the the business um delivered for people but george what is going on right now you have been on um as i mentioned before the last time you were on uh, you were starting this uh this thing called debt cleanse maybe you could talk about that real quick and then and then 
You can talk maybe a little bit about what got you back into really becoming the quarterback of AHP Services again. Sure. So Debt Cleanse, uh, to go back in the story, HP started in 2008. Uh, we started crowdfunding in 2013. That's roughly about when we first met. And we uh, we transitioned in 2016 to Regulation A-plus crowdfunding, which is the crowdfunding that allows anyone to invest, unaccredited and accredited investors, minimum investment, $100. We try to make it as accessible as possible. What we do is we crowdfund the money and we use that money to purchase pools of defaulted mortgages from banks and hedge funds. And we focus in the low to uh, modern income neighborhoods. So those mortgages secured by homes of, let's say worth on average around $50,000, $40,000 to $50,000. And the reason we do that partially is because that's where the greatest social need is. That's where most of the hedge funds don't want to deal with it. Uh, You know, they figure, Hey, you're making, you know, eight, five, $10,000 a transaction in their mind. It's not worth it. In our mind, if we can do that hundreds of times, it makes it worth it. And it also, again, the social impact could be significant. And to give you context to this, let's say someone owes $100,000 and that home is now worth 50,000. We can probably buy that mortgage. You know, in 2013, we could probably buy that mortgage for 20. Today, we can probably buy it for more like 25. But either way, it still gives us a huge amount of flexibility to offer that family either a a modification with significantly reduced payment, uh, reduced principal in some cases. uh, And many a times they're behind a year, two, three years, and we can reduce they could owe ten, twenty thousand dollars. We'll say, give us two thousand dollars. We'll forgive the difference. And if they don't want to stay or it's already vacant, we give them cash. They sign a deed in lieu. We forgive the rest of the loan. We sell the property. In all cases, we can, or in most cases, we can generate a good return and also have a positive uh, social impact. Now, two years ago, I was working unbelievable hours. The, the company just kept growing and growing, which is good, except I wasn't the great delegator. And I, uh, I, I took on a little too much work, my or way too much work <laughs> on myself. And it just like never ended. And I, I was trying to keep everything going. And I came to the conclusion that I needed to hire somebody else who would probably be a better delegator. I did hire a new CEO and she took over in uh, early 2008. Uh, came from an institutional background. 18, and you mean, well-credentialed. Right? 18. What's that? Well, you mean 2018? 2018. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. In, in early 2018. And uh, that she was instrumental in making institutionalizing AHP, making us more of a building a foundation for growth. But I think there was a bit of a disconnect when it came to the strategies that we employed. Again, buying these more challenged mortgages and and rapidly getting them to some kind of path to a resolution, which, which spiked the returns. So, uh, in July of this year, just three or four months ago, uh, I came back in as CEO and what I've done is I'm, I'm going to keep the CEO position. I wasn't sure of that at the beginning, but I've decided I'm going to stay a CEO. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm hiring the best team around me as possible. Uh, the best team I can find, to surround myself with. And I've hired a president who used to work for Fannie Mae. I hired uh, a vice president who used to work for Rocktop, which is a multi-billion dollar hedge fund, which used to be our, has historically been the number one seller of loans to, to uh, AHP. Also business development person came from uh, 
from Rocktop. Uh, and right now I'm continuing, we hired uh, a, a uh, COO who came from uh, a bank, which previously uh, she worked for, um, for Davin Mew Mortgage, which is a, a very large uh, servicer. We've hired a number of employees from a servicer that's in our building face servicing. So we're building this awesome team, but I'm staying at the top. And the goal is I, I, uh, for me not to get to the point yeah. where I have to work the, the unsustainable well, hours as I did in the past. Well, it's interesting because what you described, I think, is, is you know, we've talked about this before. You and I share this um, curse called uh, being an entrepreneur. And, <laughs> and one of the things that happens with entrepreneurs is um, beyond multiple failures and, you know, uh, significant stress to oneself and one's family is that um, you get to a point when you build something where um, if you're not, you, you, it, there's a point where you, you there's a fork in the road almost where you have to say, well, gosh, if I want to get any bigger, if I want to, um, you know, if I want to scale this thing, uh, it requires skills that I don't have. And, um, and you did that and you went out and got somebody. But one of the other things that happens sometimes in that situation is that the magic of the person who's the entrepreneur, the person with the special sauce, so to speak, sort of gets watered down. And I think for my sense is that for a, a, a year or so, that's kind of what happened. Obviously, you know, the fund never lost money or anything like that, but it the the ability to create that magic, that high yield, was really a special skill that you had developed over some time and uh, you may have overestimated or underestimated your own contribution to that. But to me, what it sounds like is you have understood that you've come back and you're like, okay, I'll be the rainmaker. I'll be the deal maker, but I don't need to do every last other thing I used to do because most of that stuff is just paperwork and bureaucracy and, and so on. But what I'm really good at, I'm going to focus on. Is that about right? That's a fair assessment. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think the key is being willing up to give, con to be willing to give up control, which is difficult from an yeah. entrepreneur. You want to control everything. And right. it's really difficult to say, Hey, please help, please do this for me. Uh, and the other part is I think recognizing that there are people who have, uh, skill levels in different arenas that are much connect can perform something much better than I can. Right. And, I need to get them on my team, reward them appropriately and, um, and give them free reign. If they give them the goal, this is what we want to do. And they can help figure out the way to get there. And when they need my help, they ask for my help. Other than that, they're just working towards the goal. And as long as they're making steps towards that, the route they may take is not what I would have anticipated, but as long as they get there, that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so at the end of the day, I mean, I just want to, uh, just for people who don't really understand what notes are, you explained it, but in effect, what you're doing is you have mortgages that people aren't able to pay and they might get ordinarily get foreclosed on. But what, what, what a note buyer does is you're going in there and buying that mortgage from a lender, from a bank, et cetera, um, at a discount. And the inefficiency that George identified early on was that once uh, once those um, mortgages were purchased by an investor, sometimes they were, you know, they really didn't didn't do things that made common sense, like negotiating with the person who lived there and try to keep them in their house. 
and still being able to make a significant profit. So there's a social aspect to this as well. You found an inefficiency, and he was able to capitalize on it much more efficiently than hedge funds and other buyers of these um, loans. Now, uh, so that is, in effect, what uh, HP has always been about. I will tell you that uh, it's much harder than it looks, and and I know this because I went out and I tried to learn this business from George. Um, I went in there and 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 you know try to figure out what was going on, and there's a lot of moving parts. This is not easy. He makes it look really easy the way he's got this down, but it is not. Um, but that being said, George, now let's talk about the market in general because you mentioned that in 2013, you know, I mean, this was, you know, luckily for you in, in, in some regards, at the time of your scaling, when you were really getting good at this stuff, it was, you had a lot more fudge factor. You had the ability, you had a lot more, um, probably some more margin of error. Since then, what has happened in the market to make it a little bit more challenging? Yeah, so what has happened is uh, just like in the real estate market and, and most asset classes today, a lot more competition. And I think as as there's been a track uh, record developed by us and others, you know, that's attracted more money into the space. More money means and uh, and a lower supply. You know, we're we're ten years um, after the crisis. So after the crisis, there were billion. There was just a massive of massive supply. Now the supply is still there, but it's reduced significantly. And at the same time, you have a lot of people who've come in with more money. And when it's predictable, track record, people have been able to um, say, hey, I, th- I see less risk in this. I'm willing to take a smaller yield. And that's, you know, we're dealing, you know, there's hedge funds in this space that are willing to take a, a modest return, you know, in the single digits uh, on these loans. And that is, um, you know, when they're willing to do that, we have to find ways to buy on the edges in order to still get the returns that everyone's accustomed to. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, when you're competing with, you know, hedge funds, hedge funds and institutional money in general, they have a funny way of looking at things the way we, we probably don't as real estate investors. Usually their benchmark is, you know, uh, what the interest rates are, right? Like in, as interest rates go down, uh, they, they feel like they can accept less and less uh, return because they're effectively um, comparing it to, you know, with treasuries. Right. And, um, and so we don't do that. Um, But then when you get in that situation though, what do you do, George, what do you do? I mean, if you had to summarize sort of like what the magic, you know, that you've brought, to squeeze out more return than the hedge funds can. How would you describe it? We buy, we try to buy what everyone else does not want. So that Mm -hmm. means we're buying the bigger problems, the ones. So for instance, files that, that have, um, that are missing documents, sometimes missing the whole file. Uh, we buy loans where they're secured by properties that are very low value. Uh, there's litigation on, on some of these files. So those we're, we're walking into problems. We know they're problems, but we, we look to use our strategies to resolve them promptly. Whenever we can buy a problem and that no one else wants, we can get a better price. I mean, I'll give you an example. There's a pool of mortgage servicing rights. Now we're a servicer. We can buy mortgage servicing rights. And it's very, A, this pool we're looking at, it's very small. Uh, and so all the institutional buyers, they want to do bigger, big, big, big deals. 
And so these little, it's funny, you know, usually you think in normal life, you think, okay, I buy a greater volume, I get a, get a discounted price. And it's completely the opposite yeah. the way it's gone. Right. And now if you buy one-offs, there's, there's, you know, local and, and private investor competition, but there's this kind of mid range between the institutions and the mom and pops. And that's a space where, you know, it can be a couple million bucks at a time where there's a lot less competition. And then you throw in, Hey, these loans have big problems. Uh, and now the, you know, the, sometimes they're, 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 um, we can make very good deals. And I'll give you another example, speed and predictability. If you're a, a seller that's known to perform as promised and people can count on it when you say, Hey, I'm going to buy this and I can close on such and such a date. That's huge value. And about two months ago, we had a, um, we had a servicer call and they had the, uh, they had a pool where they said, Hey, we, we need a million and a half dollars. We're willing to sell these out of a securitization, but you got to close in five days. And you know, most, most people just can't do that. And, mm -hmm. uh, a, even if they can do it, they just don't have the comfort level to take that risk because in five days you can only do so much due diligence, but a, we trusted the seller and B we looked at the pool and it just made sense. Uh, it looked like we were getting a great deal. And as it turns out, we got a great deal because we did perform. Uh, and then this, I'll tell you this little pool of uh, mortgage servicing rights, very small, 126 loans. Um, so a too small for most people to look at it. And then they say, Hey, it was on this old servicing system and there's some problems with the data. So there's some inconsistencies. And so we were saying, Hey, we're gonna have to pay real cheap for it. In the end, they just said, they'll give it to you. I mean, you'll get to these points where people are just like, it's not, I mean, we in the end, we're going to pay a token or they're just going to give it to us because it's too much of a problem for them. They don't want, they need to cut the liability and we're going to have to do some work to clean it up. But in the end, we're going to make some money off that. And the, and then think about this mortgage servicing rights or loans. If you put them together into some homogenous packages, large enough packages, now you can sell them to the institutions and they're going to pay a premium of what you paid individually. So you're kind of, um, I mean, that's kind of a strategy to buy these odd lots, pick out stuff that's, that has common characteristics that maybe they're reperforming loans or now they've, they've had a reasonable pay history recently and we can sell those to, to hedge funds and then focus on the remaining ones that have, have more significant problems. One of the things that, um, that, you know, uh, you have to kind of think about a little bit now you've, you'd have a tremendous track record in terms of delivering, um, you know, we can get specifically into the fund in a bit, but what your preps have been over the last, you know, six years or so since you started, um, and you've been pretty, pretty well on target throughout that time. Um, but on the other hand, if you think about it, what exact people may be looking at this and saying, well, gosh, you're, you're buying non-performing debt, right? So as an investor, how should I look at this in terms of the risk profile? Because that, that question, I think, um, is different for an investor buying a few notes compared to what you're investing in a fund like yours, right? I mean, what, what's the difference? The big, big difference is that uh, we are diversifying the risk. So we can buy, you know, 100 loans or 1,000 loans or thousands of loans. And knowing that we will lose on some individual loans, there's no question. If you're, if you're not losing, you're not your strategy is too conservative and your returns are going to show it. Uh, but you will, if we buy hundred loans, I expect on average, we'll, we're going to lose on 10 of them. And it doesn't mean we lose everything, but we're going to get less than what we paid for them. And that's just, 
that will happen. But now we can absorb it. And those other 90% will more than make up for the ones that we lose. Now, what's challenging is for an individual investor, they may buy five loans and maybe all five work out, but maybe two or three of them go, don't work out as planned. And all of a sudden that investor looks, Hey, I spread my risk over five loans. Two or three of them didn't work out. All of a sudden, Hey, I lost money on this thing. I'm not going to do it again. And the more loans you buy, the greater the likelihood that you can spread the risk over, um, over multiple loans, because it is, like you said, it is not performing debt. It doesn't mean, I mean, there's going to be challenges. So people don't want to pay it in most cases. And in some, they're just many cases they're not paying now and you need to make it in my mind, you need to make it, you need to create the proper incentives for, to align the interests of the homeowner and, uh, and the fund and the servicer for that matter. I can just say, like personally, I bought a you know I bought a couple of notes, and they weren't they didn't even look that bad. But boy, it's been a struggle. And and just uh, again, the the comparison to that versus spreading risk in a fund, you know, um, you know many you know many thousands of times over is is I think where the value comes from in something like this. Um, so tell us about um, tell us about the current fund. Uh, what's going on with that? Um, and and uh, I know you're you're opening up again, or you already have opened up. Yeah, we opened up uh, a week ago, uh, mm-hmm. and we are just less than a week ago. And just because here's a challenge. Another challenge is when you are a fund, as you raise money, you need to promptly deploy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the money sits in the bank, that's going to drag the returns. Even if you're doing great on the money that's invested, you have too much money sitting in the bank earning almost zero, that will drag your returns. Uh, and we had that issue. When I came aboard, there was a lot of money sitting in the bank account that had not been invested. So when you, that's why it took when a little you came while. back, you mean, right? When you... Uh... When I came back as a right, CEO. Right, right. Yep. Uh, so at this point, that money has been deployed and I've lined up enough deals. I think that through the end of the year, we can promptly deploy the money as it comes in. And that is, uh, and then, and, and keep going forward. And, and uh, that's, that's key. You can't, I mean, if we, if the supply ran dry again, we'd, we'd have to close the fund again. But I think for the next, uh, through the end of the year, it's a great time to be buying. Uh, people are motivated by urgency to close it by end of month. I mean, I'm sorry, by end of year. And that is something I think we'll be able to take advantage of. So what's, um, how big is this fund? How long does it go? Sure. We can uh, raise up to $50 million a year. And our first year anniversary was last year. I mean, it was last week uh, in early November and our next, uh, so we have until November of 2020 to raise another $50 million. I think we're going to do it. I I wouldn't be surprised if we hit that limit um, by say March or April of next year. Yeah. And so in terms of an individual investor, you mentioned a couple of things that I think were key. One is, um, unlike, you know, a lot of the opportunities that uh, we certainly do in a, a, our accredited investor group, this is not, this is open to everybody. You don't have to be accredited. Um, the minimums are ridiculously low. That's by <laughs> how, design. Yeah, and, and how low is it? What's the minimum? One hundred dollars. Yeah, okay. Is a minimum investment. This is so. This is like I can't imagine how you would actually make money taking a hundred dollars at a time, and and uh, I suspect you probably don't. I mean, just with accounting costs alone. Agreed. On, on somebody who invests a hundred dollars and that's it, that probably is not a winning proposition. Uh, <laughs> we look at it as a marketing tool, though. There is a uh, so many people invest a hundred dollars. 
And that's just the start. And I can think of one investor who started with a hundred dollars and now they are at a million dollars, but they, they wanted to, they just tried it. Hey, this sounds interesting. A hundred dollars. People think that's, you know, dinner and the movies on the weekend. I can, uh, I can throw that in and see what happens. It worked out well. And a couple of years later, you know, people start increasing. I think our average investment is around $7,000. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of hundred dollar investors and some of them that's it, but it is, you know, now they're tied to it. They get our, you know, they get our emails each month. They get the, uh, they get to keep track of what's going on in the fund and hopefully either they'll invest more or they'll tell their friends and family. Got it. And then what is the uh, preferred return? How is that distributed, et cetera? Sure. Uh, we pay uh, investors the first 10% of what we earn and uh, that is distributed monthly uh, on the roughly of the 10th of each month. You can choose in the first two years of the fund. We're able to reinvest that money after that. We have to do the uh, monthly distribution. Got it. And in, in order to sign up for that, what is the website? Because there's always there was a little confusion, I think, before when you transitioned from the last fund. Like, how do you yeah. sign up for this? Sure. So the the, the place to go right now is ahpservicing.com. Uh, and that is where you, we have a current uh, offering available. You know, the prior fund that we did that was Regulation A+, plus is under um, at okay. ahpfund.com. And so there was, and we still have that fund up, we still have that website up because people can go uh, and uh, and log in to see their investment history there on the prior fund, and now it's HP servicing. At some point in the future, because we expect to do another, you know, additional regulation aid funds, we have at least one more planned uh, for next year. Uh, we need to at some point it'd be nice to have just a one site for <laughs> investors for all idea. the funds. Hundred percent agreed. I, uh, I've uh, found myself uh, because I've been an investor in the previous fund and the current fund, and uh, it just created a massive amount of confusion. But just for clarity, I'm going to say it again: AHPServicing.com is where you need to go now. Correct. Correct. Okay. HP Servicing, and one of the key things that I think that I think is probably the one of the most unique aspects of this. Um, is the uh, is the liquidity issue because ordinarily, um, you know, there's there's funds out there that um, you know, they may be distributing a certain amount in the note space, but they don't really have uh, the I guess the um, the opportunity for liquidity. Can you talk about that? Because that's I think one of the biggest selling points for for this fund. Absolutely. Uh, so we offer um, best efforts liquidity. Basically, that means that an investor can ask us to redeem all or part of their investment, and we will uh, undertake our best efforts to do that within 30 days. Uh, historically, we've done that um, within uh, 30 days under my management, under the prior management. There were a few times where uh, it took longer, and I apologize for that. Uh, since I've been back on board, we've been able to uh, get everything done within 30 days. Yeah, and let's just one last thing I want to ask you about because you know we've talked about sort of the um, frothiness of the real estate market that sort of spilled over into um, into in, into the note market as well. Now, how do you if if there is a correction in the market, uh, is it actually good for what you're doing? as opposed to, you know, we should be worried about it. No, good. Disruption is good. Uh, downturn is good uh, for, for us as, in terms of fund performance. I mean, we don't want to hope for challenges 
that people will, will, will struggle because that's not what we want to have happen. But inevitably there is a cycle to this. And right now, uh, we, there's many people, many pundits believe that we are at the tail end of a very long up cycle, which will result in a downturn at some point, And that will impact both the real estate markets and certainly, uh, by extension, uh, the distressed mortgage market. And what happens in that, in that situation is the value of our current holdings will probably go down, but that will be mitigated by the fact that we, the majority of what we buy is secured by lower value homes, which should not fall as much as the higher value homes. Uh, but also it will increase our purchasing opportunities significantly. The, uh, right now, as we talked, you know, there's a lot of money is flowing into the space. There's a lot of, um, predictability. And, uh, as soon as there's a downturn, there's disruption, there's uncertainty, unpredictability, that money, uh, some of that's going to go to the sidelines. Hey, wait, let's see what's going to happen here. And when the, and then the supply increases, then there's more, more loans for sale. So that's always the best, um, the best market to buy in, in, in any type of situation. Again, real estate notes, businesses, debt, uh, anytime where the supply exceeds the demand prices will drop and opportunities will rise. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I think that in some regards, um, what you're doing right now is um, does provide some, uh, if you think about it, a, a sort of hedge against um, setbacks in the economy because effectively, you know, you're you know you're buying right now and you're performing. Um, if even if there's a situation where uh, you know, you may have to go back to some of those um, previous properties, the opportunity to go in and buy other things at a discount. If there is some sort of additional, you know, setback or recessionary activity um, gives you an opportunity to almost volume average, um, you know, what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Does that seem about right? That does seem about right. Yeah. I mean, it will be, we were there when we first started, we were, in our, in our formative stages. And we were buying from the biggest banks in the country. And the only reason they were selling to us is because there were so few, so few buyers. And we were a very small buyer at the time, but Citibank, Banco Popular, FDIC, um, big, big, big hedge funds and banks were selling to us. And, uh, that was a reflection of the times. Now, six years later, some of those banks won't sell to us, not because they don't like us, but because we don't have a hundred million dollars, which other people are able to put together by these hundred million dollar pools. And we just can't do that. Uh, and I don't think I want to do that because they're going to get better pricing when they sell to the guys who can do a hundred million dollar trades. And, but what happens though, is those hedge funds that buy those hundred million dollar trades, then they end up selling, uh, selling to us, but take those out of the picture. We're back buying directly from the banks. And I see that happening, uh, during the next disruption. So uh, I'll just say this much. I think um, for me personally, having George Newberry back in, um, you know, in, in the pilot seat at AHP servicing is huge. Um, I think for anybody who's not, um, who's interested in sort of a cash flow uh, fund where you literally, I mean, it's literally, it's what cash flow is, right? I mean, um, it is a monthly distribution based on a fixed number. In this case, typically, um, I think we have 10% now. Um, and, you know, that, that, that opportunity, if you're looking for that with George in charge, I think it's one of the better opportunities, in my opinion, 
to um, to go out there and consider, especially with the liquidity option, because effectively it becomes almost like a you know extremely high interest bearing account where you can you know you can access money at any time. George, anything else that I left out that you think is important for us to know? Hey, I'll throw you on the liquidity, and I agree it's it's been attractive, and and what happens is a lot of investors who maybe buy and resell homes or apartment buildings will come out of an investment. They park the money at the bank and they get almost nothing. They can invest it with us. And then if they find another opportunity, they can redeem it. And uh, that's worked well for, I think, a lot of people. But do add that if they, the caveat that if they do redeem it in the first year, that 10% drops to 8% and in the second year, it drops from 10% to 9%. So just be aware of that for your listeners. Got it. Got it. Again, that is ahpservicing.com, everyone. George, as always, it is a pleasure. And um, we're looking forward to working uh, with you again at uh, in the Wealth Formula community. Likewise. Thanks again for having me on, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed it. As always, George Newberry is a friend of the show. Highly recommend that if you're looking to get into the cash flow game, looking for that, really aren't looking for necessarily a lot of capital gains or capital growth, or somewhere to park your money for a period of time, this is certainly something to consider. And I've used it in all of those capacities in the past. Now, um, one thing, uh, before I go, I want to remind you that a number of people email me all the time with questions and stuff like that. And I'm happy to answer as much as I can. But one of the things that if you really want to get involved with the community where you can get a lot of your questions answered um, and run things past other people, I would highly consider joining or at least considering joining the Wealth Formula Network. Wealth Formula Network's a private group, and uh, you can find out about it at wealthformularoadmap.com. But it started out initially as a course. Um, the course itself uh, is, is you know, got a lot of the names we always talk about in here, Tom Wheelwright, Ken McElroy, um, you know, those types, real smart people. And then once you get uh, done with the course, or or simultaneously, I should say, you are part of this group called Wealth Formula Network, where we have bi-weekly, uh, bi-weekly Zoom video calls, and we have a um, uh, private Facebook group and 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 also a portal. Uh, we share information for each with each other on a Dropbox. Just lots of different things uh, available. And if you're if you're the right person for this, uh, it can be a really really rewarding thing to be part of. Who's the right person? Well, I would say if you love this stuff, you like talking about it. Your neighbors are not really into it. Your friends are not really into it, and your wife or your husband does not want to talk to you about it. Then you should seriously consider joining us because that sounds like the rest of us. Anyway, again, that's wealthformularoadmap.com. Would make a great Christmas present this year, too, to somebody. So anyway, uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.
Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.